Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Finding Extraordinary. Here's a quote by Robin Sharma. The best among us are not more gifted than the rest. They just take little steps each day as they march toward their biggest life. And the days slip into weeks, the weeks into months, and before they know it, they arrive at a place called Extraordinary. Let's get it started to see me and i'm excited you know boss is coming in he's probably gonna tell me how great i am because i just hit 130 something percent of goal and so i'm really pumped up to see see the boss right um everybody loves affirmation right so he comes he comes in and that's not what i get uh actually what i get is like a full-blown audit he comes in and audits all my stuff and those that have listened to our show for a long time know that um, my organizational skills are not my strength um, I lean heavily on, on people, uh, people, and I'm not good at sitting down at a desk and number crunching and creating files and tabs and highlighting and all that bullshit. And so he comes in and just like picks me apart. You know, your files aren't together here and you're not highlighting this and you should have tiers set up this way. And why are these papers over here? And just picks apart everything I'm doing. And it doesn't beat me up or anything. I, I have a really good uh, attitude around stuff like that and good self-awareness that, okay, there's areas I can improve. Um, I can be better. So the very next day it's like five o'clock at night, which in, in the gym industry, that's called prime time. That's when the most people are coming through the most opportunity for business is happening. And I'm in my desk in the back office and I've got it all like paper clips out and stapler and I'm highlighting and I'm organizing my files and doing stuff. And Mark walks back and he looks at me and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I go, oh, you know, Nagoya came in yesterday and he, you know, told me I need to do this. I need to do that. I'm not doing this well. And he looks at me for a second and then he takes his hand and he goes, <laughs> and he clears the whole fucking desk off all the shit that I was working on. No shit. And I look at him I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he looks back at me and goes, listen, you're in this position at 21 years old for a reason. Stop focusing on the things that you're not good at. Focus on what you're good at and become fucking great. And that shit just forever changed my life. That is the voice of my next guest, Adam Schaefer. Adam is a co-founder, the CEO, and one of the hosts to one of my favorite podcasts, Mind Pump. Mind Pump currently ranks in the top 20 in the health, wellness, and fitness categories. And it's a podcast that you should definitely listen to. In this episode, we talk about a lot of different things. First of all, Adam talks about his childhood, how he lost his dad at a very young age, and how that forced him into a leadership role. Then we get into his favorite books. We talk about how motivation does not move the needle, but self-belief does, and how to grow your self-belief. We get into podcasts and building a podcast growth model. Then we talk about how to make a really great product that your audience will love. Then we get into perspective on being a father, and then mentorship. This episode is one that I am so excited for you to listen to, and I don't want to make you wait any longer. Let's get it going. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind, 
and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Guys, I'm here with uh, one of the Mind Pump hosts, a guy that I think has a lot of wisdom, and I, I listen to the Mind Pump podcast at, at least once a week, at least. And uh, I, I've got to tell you, Adam Schaefer is is here on the podcast, and you know what? He's he's got a great story. Um, I know a lot of times you've you've said you had a 50-50 shot of making it with your background and uh, not to just jump in to a dramatic story, but, <laughs> you know, I figure that's a, that's a great place to start. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know, I actually didn't even know that it was like a 50-50 shot going up. That was something that I, I think somebody, God, I don't remember who I was talking to, that um, told me that. And I was like, what do you mean I had 50-50? They're like, have you ever read... Uh, the research on kids that have had fathers that have had uh, suicide um, and, you know, divorced families and abusive relationships. Like, have you ever like looked at the statistics of, you know, what ends up happening to a majority of those kids? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. So it wasn't until I was even into my thirties before I even heard anyone say that to me. I mean, as a young kid uh, it's survival mode. I'm just, figuring things out as I go. Um, I don't think I have that level of self-awareness at seven, eight, nine years old that, oh shit, like uh, chances are I'm not going to make it. I got to try and make it. I think you just do what you need to do to to get by. And I think that just kind of forged me into the person that I am today. Uh, looking back now, and I guess now that's something that um, I guess I get to be proud about that I, I, I made it through all that and and came out the other end, I would say an all right guy. Uh, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that uh, odds were against me that I would end up being a, a drug addict or a loser or whatever. Um, I didn't know. And so for me, I don't feel like I could take lots of credit for that. I think as a kid who went through it, um, you know, I, I was like many other kids. I just I wanted friends. Uh, I wanted to play. I wanted to have a normal life. Um, I didn't want to see my parents fight and do crazy shit like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tried to do the best I could with what I had. Um, later on, though, I, I look back and I reflect on the path that I took. And it kind of uh, thrusted me into leadership at, at a very early age, you know, with your my dad passing away or committing suicide at seven. I'm the oldest uh, of four four other kids. And so right away it i had to become kind of the parent in the in the relationship my mom turned around and married into an abusive relationship one year later after my dad committed suicide so you know as the oldest i just felt compelled to be in the middle of every time there was a crazy fight or cops being called um i would run out there and and try and defuse the situation and protect my mom or separate my stepdad or you know, or I was the one that was literally calling the cops. So I had to do a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I think it just, it, it took a, a child's mind and forced me to think about adult things really, mm-hmm. really early. And I think I went through a phase in my teenage years where I was probably a, a pain in the ass to deal with as a kid. Um, probably had a lot of animosity um, towards my parents. Uh, and that took a lot of working through my, my 20s. 
And then later on, like in my late twenties and early thirties, I think I came full circle and, and recognized that all those things that I probably had animosity towards, uh, my parents to, for, uh, the things that, um, people felt sorry for that I went through at the end of the day, like now I don't feel that way. Now I feel like I'm blessed because I went through all that because it really did set the table for the things I would do later on in life, you know? Yeah. And I want to go back just, just a little bit. Cause you said something, uh, you said that your, your childhood was kind of accelerated into adulthood pretty quickly, just based on, on what was going on with you and you were the oldest. So you kind of had to take that leadership role. If you had to say specifically how that has really helped you, uh, it become this, this, the person you are today, uh, because like I said, when I was introducing you, I think you have a ton of wisdom and that just doesn't, that just doesn't come, uh, from nowhere. No, it comes from experience. You know, I, I think that I mean, I have this, this, uh, image. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the show before. I know I've shared it with the boys off air, uh, talking and I know what house that I was in. Um, it was the house that I lived in when I lived in Modesto, which means, I couldn't have been older than fourth grade because we moved from that house in fourth grade. So whatever, however old you are in third and fourth grade, uh, I have an image uh, that I remember of me standing up and I'm talking to my stepfather and my mother after a crazy fight. They're sitting on the bed. I'm standing in front of them and I'm trying to teach them how to communicate better with each other so they would stop fighting and, and hitting each other and and acting ridiculous. And to me, that that wasn't a big deal. Uh, that was, again, survival. It was just like, God, you don't, you want mom and dad to stop fighting. Um, I had already developed enough as even a young child to know what right from wrong and, you know, how to communicate and work with others earlier. And so here I am trying to teach my, my parents that. Now, when I think about this now and I think, what the fuck? You know, a nine-year-old is standing up talking to two adults, they're actually sitting there and listening. Like, that's kind of weird. You know, now that was my normal life early on and I didn't think nothing of it. So if you fast forward when I get into like my 20s and, you know, by 20 years old, I was uh, working as a personal trainer. By 21, I was promoted to uh, management. And so I was now in a leadership role by 21. And at that time, I had about 15 trainers that worked underneath me, all of which were all older than I was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that, again, something like that may be like crazy for somebody thrusted into that position, or they may feel like, oh my God, this is really intimidating. I'm the boss. I'm the youngest. I didn't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. You know, I went into it with uh, the same way that I went into anything else. And I think because of situations that were sad for other people to, to, to hear or talk about for me as a kid also ended up playing this huge role into who I'd become as a leader because right away, the things that would normally probably stifle most people in that position didn't scare me. I wasn't intimidated by 15 trainers that are a few years older than I am. We're all doing the same job. And, my, and I had already worked in that position and proved that I was really good at what I did. And I also gave and helped as much as I possibly. Early on, I learned that when I would learn something, uh, 
it would become a, a behavior or something cemented in my brain forever if I turned around and I taught it right away. And so this was a skill set that I picked up as a young child in early, early years. And then when I stepped into being a personal trainer, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, it really was all new to me, a little bit of reading and studying, a little bit of the, the schooling that they put you through when you first start. But I really didn't know that much. Um, but I was eager to learn. And when I would learn things, I was quick to share because I knew that once I shared and, and, and gave that information to somebody else and helped them out, it then would solidify it as a behavior or something that was now cemented in my own brain. And so it was now part of my lexicon. I, I knew it now. And so I picked up those skill sets early on and began applying that. And I think people that worked underneath me received that really well because it came from a good place, uh, you know, especially in the trainer space, those that are familiar with it. There's a lot of egos involved and there's a lot of scarcity mindset where, where they, a lot of trainers look at, oh, there's 15 of us. We're all, we're all fishing from the same pond. Mm -hmm. And if I learn a bait that is catching all the fish, I'm not going to share it with my peers because that's going to take away from my, the food from my mouth. And so they, they all get this scarcity mindset of, you know, learning on their own or practicing skill sets themselves, but then not sharing with their peers in fear of they're going to take from them. I didn't come from that mindset. I didn't have that fear. I just, I came more of that, okay, the more I share, the more I give, the more I learn, the better I get. And I'm helping the others level up themselves. And so that really served me early on. And I continued to see that in that space uh, for a very long time. And I think that was probably one of the things that come came from early childhood. Yeah, it's such a great point. Um, just, just the fact that sharing what you know is actually a good thing. And that, I th though it applied to when you were a trainer and when you were managing a ton of other trainers, that applies to all businesses. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I have a little bit of a sales background and this the same thing. Um, there are people who just wouldn't share what they're doing or, or how they're, they're doing what they're doing. And I think that hurts them because I'll tell you what, if someone comes to me with something that's working and I go and do it and it's working, I'm going to go back to that person again and again and, and, and try and gain more knowledge from them. So it's not like I'm necessarily stealing. I'm, I'm looking up to them. They're like my new coach, right? You know? Right. So, uh, what a, what a great thing to learn at what, in, when you were in fourth grade? Yeah, I was very little. A lot of the lessons I think that I, I got from those those years, I don't think they, they became a real lesson for me until I started to piece things together. It wasn't until probably my mid-20s, and I would probably attribute this to reading. I wasn't a big reader until 25. Huh. Um, Preach, man. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I read what I needed to read in school to get by to pass to pass classes and uh, and did it only for those reasons. So I hated it um, from probably 15 all the way till I was 25. And what sparked that was it at 25, I had a, a major moment in my life where I told you that I was thrusted into leadership by 21. By 25, I believe that I already should have been like the top tier in this company. I had done everything I needed to do to uh, prove I was one of the best. Yes, I was young, but I wanted to be at like the VP status and mm -hmm. I was still working in like a club and I wanted to be running a district or a whole area by this time. 
And I remember being very frustrated uh, about that. And I, and I went through this phase for probably a year where I felt sorry for myself. And by feeling sorry for myself, it was more like I was angry. And I was angry at the company for not moving me up after I've deserved it. Oh, I've broken all these records and I've flipped all these clubs and made them successful. I've developed all these other leaders. What else do I got to prove that to that I'm a, a great leader and that you need to bring me up? And I had this epiphany um, about 25 and I kind of, and I wish I remember what it was that sparked this. I don't remember. I just know what I did from it. But I, I looked at myself and I thought, why am I allowing a company to dictate my personal growth? And why does this, the, the title on this, this magnet name tag on my shirt have anything to do with uh, how smart or how sap business savvy or how much I grow my business acumen? Uh, why am I allowing that? Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment that I thought, okay, I'm going to stop waiting for the company to grow me and to develop me and to bring me up. And I'm going to begin seeking it myself. And at that same time, the company had just gone through a shift with a new CEO. Uh, Carl Liebert had came on from Home Depot. He's now taken over 24 hour fitness and he was doing something uh, every month where he would, he would put out a book that he was reading. And a lot of times it pertained to what was going on in our company and the direction he was taking it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm going to read everything the CEO is reading. Like what, what stops me from becoming as business savvy and smart as the man who's running this billion dollar company. And that's kind of where I started. And that probably was the best thing that I ever did. It sent me down this wow. rabbit hole of leadership books and business books and personal development to personal development books. And I just started gaining all this knowledge on how to be a better leader, how to be a better better business person, how to reflect on myself, self-awareness, emotional intelligence. I mean, I just started going deep and that's what really started to accelerate my my leadership was around 25. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, usually one of the last questions in my podcast, I always ask, what books are you reading and what do you recommend? But since we are right in the middle of it here and it's on, it's it's the subject what are your favorite books? Okay. What are you reading? And what would you recommend? Okay. So my all-time favorite book uh, is a book called Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. I, it's just an incredible story um, about uh, Navy SEAL Team 10. Um, that was probably one. I And I say it's my favorite book because it's probably the only book I ever remember opening it and reading it like cover to cover within a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the few books that uh, I was you know, falling asleep at night, but still wanting to get through the pages. It was, it was so good, especially when you get to about page a hundred, it just, it's a page burner from then on. Wow. So a great book uh, to read, powerful story. Um, Marcus Luttrell has an incredible story. Obviously by the title of the book, you understand that he's the only one that survived and made it back to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, an all time favorite. Um, currently I'm reading right now, uh, traction and a story. It's called a story brand. Uh, I'm doing both of those right now. Yeah. I've heard of story brand. Yeah. Story brand is really good. Um, one of the things too, that I, I think is really interesting about that is it shared a story in there about, um, uh, Steve jobs and one of the most, uh, impactful things in his life when he transitioned, uh, back to Apple the second time. And a lot of people don't know this, 
but one of the most powerful things that he got in that time off between uh, Apple and then returning was his time in Pixar and developing Pixar. And the biggest lesson that he learned that he attributes to the success of Apple the second time around is actually the storytelling. Oh, and then, wow. and if you remember some of the history of Apple, that was really when they started to separate themselves with their their billboards that were coming out that were, you know, almost almost borderline what some people think are like elitist or like you know this this is what everybody else does and but an Apple person is this like mm-hmm. is different and weird and unique and they really started to tell the story of a consumer of Apple and who that person was so that you identified with that. Like, yeah, that's me. I, I don't walk the same path as everybody. I'm unique. I'm different. You know, and that was kind of their story and their message that has really catapulted them to where they're at today. And a lot of people don't know that story about Steve Jobs and what a what an impact that it made on Apple back in those days. So that's a great read right now that I'm I'm enjoying because it's something that we're trying to improve upon on our story branding. Uh, we do a good job on the podcast because you get to listen to our voices. You get to learn who we are as people. But a lot of people don't know this. Uh, a majority of our revenue that we make has nothing to do with our podcast. Mm-hmm. So it was what started the business and what initially grew the foundation of the business. But our digital marketing side of the business has become far greater 3x what the podcast generates. And so that is a lot of copy that's written by people that we hire and that we we contract out. And, you know, it's not up to what we think is it's like a main focus for us in 2020 is to go in there and really uh, change the way we're communicating on there and actually make sure that we're telling telling the story better and making the consumer the hero. And I don't think we do a very good job of that right now. So that's a really good read. And I'm enjoying that. Uh, Traction is a book that I've been through and I'm going through again. It pertains to where uh, I'm currently at with this business with scaling it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's one thing to build a successful business. It's another thing to scale something to a multi-million dollar company yep. um, and and to grow something that's got, you know, 20, 30 plus employees and and sustainable. And traction is a lot of that. Uh, it's It goes into a lot of the organizational piece, which if I were to pick something that is the greatest weakness of the four owners, it would be that. Like, um, we're incredibly humble. We're all talented in our own ways. We all have strengths that attribute to the business. Uh, something that we didn't spend a lot of time early on, which I believe is a strength and, and good because I think that paralysis by analysis is the number one business killer. We didn't, we weren't that. We weren't afraid to just go shoot from the hip. We'll figure this out. If we fail, we'll get back up. We'll do it again. Yeah. That attitude helped scale and build this thing. But now it's to a size where it requires some sort of organization. There's too many moving parts. There's too many people that work for the company. So traction is a... Um, a really good read and that's something that I'm constantly going through right now. I think I hit all the ones you said, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You covered it all. Great book. Um, book I'm reading. Now I, I have touch points on all of those. Okay, um, cool. So have you read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? I haven't and I'm not a fan of David Goggins. So Okay. <laughs> Which I'm, now, now I'm going to throw you for a loop there because everybody loves this guy. I'm not a, I, we, I turned down having him on the show. Really? Yeah, I had I Why? had so, and and I shouldn't say that because I haven't met the man, and I'm, and I'm sure if we met, we probably would hit it off. I'm not a fan of the message, and 
I, I don't like, and it's, it's because of the space, the fitness space that I don't like the message. Got it. Okay. Um, the, the suffer through it, the, the grind that, that to me is something that is, uh, overused and abused in the fitness space and has sent the wrong message to the general population that Mm -hmm. this is the way you get to your fitness goals. And I know that a lot of people in the fitness space are drawn to him. And I know from my experience of training thousands uh, of people, either directly or through other trainers that have worked for me, what I know is that it's a recipe for failure for those people long-term. Most people, um, We'll never have the discipline that David Goggins have, that we'll never get up every single morning and run five miles and suffer through these these things and let their hands bleed and keep going. It's just a reality. And so what ends up happening is you end up leaving a lot of people behind who don't think they can suffer through that to, to, to make it, mm-hmm. or you end up having people who are overtraining or suffering when they don't need to. And so I'm not a big fan of the message for that reason. Although I know lots of people that have interviewed him that say they love him and his story is so motivational and powerful, but I'm like the opposite. I'm not a motivational hype guy. And so those types of stories don't appeal to me very much. Yep. Totally, totally understand that. Um, What, what I would say is that I can't speak on the physicality of of his message, the getting up, going and running and doing all of that. But what I can speak on is his mindset. And he talks a lot about that in his book. And that part is super interesting to me. Um, It's not just the waking up at three, running seven miles and then, or being, doing the, uh, Oh, what is, what is that race called that he did where it starts in death Valley and ends at the highest point in California? Well, I don't know the name of it. It's an ultra marathon or. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, but, um, just the mindset and his self talk and all of that I found, I found so interesting. Mm -hmm. And the way that you were talking about lone survivor, I brought, I just kept on thinking can't hurt me because I was flipping through that book and I was like, holy shit, I just want to go run through a brick wall right now. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. It's so good. Um, but yeah, that, that just came up for me while you were explaining that. And he actually, um, he knows, is it Latrell? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I'm sure they know, know each other. He, they know each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's, I, I mean, I've said on the, the show, I haven't said it in a long time, but I, I used to come out and talk about that motivation is bullshit. Self-belief is everything. Mm-hmm. And for, for some reason as humans, we gravitate towards these motivational stories that give us this initial, that feeling that you just got. And what I know is that that's short lived eventually that motivational hype and, and that feeling fades away and then you're left with whatever else that you got, which are practices and behaviors, hopefully, that you've instilled in you and that that's what carries you through whatever success. Now, I'm also, a, I do believe in the, the power of mindset. I do understand the psychology of, you know, if you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. And so I do like messages that are around that. Like, listen, if you are somebody who has negative talk and self-doubt all the time, you're never going to be successful that way. You have to reframe the way you're thinking that I can, I can, I will, I will. And so there's some power to that message. And I think it's a good message, but I think it's uh, it's a 
it's an abused, overly used message in the fitness space of this motivation, crush it through. What And that was kind of what made our programs, which is how we monetize the business, so successful is we totally went the opposite direction because we knew that would help the general population. If I came out and said, you got to push through it and no days off and beast mode, that's what everybody says. But what I know is, again, that doesn't last very long for most people. Instead, what we say is, listen, if you haven't been going to the gym and you haven't been working out, start with one day. That's one day more that you were than you've ever been doing. And use that to get a little momentum. And then when you get that down, then try and add a second day. And then when that becomes a behavior and it's like it's second nature and you're you're thirsty for more, do a third day. And so our message is very different than most people in our space, uh, especially with personal trainers. Everybody's the the push through it and the motivational side, which I'm like, no, you need to start with very, very small goals and make them behaviors and then build upon that. And that's what will create momentum and that's what will create success. And you don't make the mistake that a lot of people do, which is I'm all hyped up on this motivational thing that I just heard or I just read. Therefore, I'm going to go from zero to 100. Wasn't doing anything. And this this applies to in business, in my opinion. Um, you know, if we were to come in and we used to talk about this a lot with the podcast. And man, if somebody just when we first started and we had no money and we were just building this thing. And if somebody came in and they they handed us 10 million dollars. Here's $10 million. I believe in what you're doing. What are you going to do with it? Oh my God, would we have the ideas? You know, let's put a million over here and let's hire these people to run this department. Let's hire these people to run that department. The problem with that, and we have examples in our in our space, and I won't throw businesses under the bus, but I've had the opportunity to hang out with a lot of these really successful or what people think are successful CEOs that got funding or that were backed or uh, by somebody who has lots of money and they go out and they buy all these positions. The problem with that and a good book to read for this is rework Mm -hmm. is you end up not knowing what that position is valued at, uh, what it takes to run it. And if it's sustainable because you just went out and threw money at it. And what ends up happening is you build this house of cards. It looks all pretty on the outside, but it's really doesn't have anything sustainable. And one of the biggest blessings that we had building Mind Pump was that we didn't have money. So as we were coming up, it was like, okay, yeah, we all want to do all these things that sound important, but what what single thing can we do that we focus on, slowly build, use a little bit of money at a time to, to structure it, run it ourselves first to prove that the model works or prove that it's going to be something viable that we want for the business. And then okay, yes, this makes sense. Now we go look for somebody to hire and then put in that place. And then we just keep doing that on parts of the business. Because of that, all the departments that we now have in this business at one point was ran by me, Sal, or Justin, or Doug. Wow. And so we know what it should look like from beginning to end. We know how much it's worth to us to pay somebody else to do it. We know the things that we need to do in order to scale it. And we know the person that we need to look for to fill it. But if you just get all of this success or all of this money right right away, what ends up happening is you start throwing it at all these places. And at first, it looks like it's being successful because you have a flux of money. But then eventually, when that runs out, all those things need to be sustainable. And there's examples of this all over in business when you see people. And so, you know, I, I, we're all much, uh, we're way more focused on, okay, setting small, realistic goals that you can obtain 
and and destroying that and then adding to building on top of that and moving slower. And so it's kind of the counter message to our space. But it's very it's why people are so successful. You follow one of our programs and you're like, the number one thing we used to get was uh, is I mean, I want to do more. I, there's only three days a week I'm in the gym in here. Can I come four? Can I come out? Yeah, you can do all those things, but why? I mean, my goal is always to do as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change. I believe the same thing applies in business. I'm always trying to put as little effort into parts of the business that will elicit the most amount of return for us. If I have to go do something, and this is a conversation that the owners have all the time, somebody has a great idea. Oh, we should start doing this. This would be make so much money. This would be so great. Okay. Now, how much of your time now do you have to dedicate to doing that? And then what happens to the other things that you're doing? Does it suffer? Is it really worth it for you to go do that? Like we have to have, we have to think about those things. Now, so. When you were building the podcast, did you ever, did, did you and the guys, did you ever come to a point where you're like, you know what? we're not doing this the way we should. We have to change, we have to change it up. You know, we, we aren't sticking to our guns that we said we were going to, and we have to, we have to switch it up. Oh God, man. That's, that happens all the time. I'll tell you, we had a meeting yesterday and, uh, we've built up the YouTube channel. YouTube mm -hmm. channel, uh, has 300 subscribers. It adds 500 to 600 new subscribers every single day. Um, so on the outside looking in, it's, amazing. It's growing. It looks pretty. Uh, it's efficient. It's completely hands-off for all of us. We've employed people to manage it, to run it. To That's their job. They report to us every Monday. Now, the problem with that is we were going through all the analytics of the the since the beginning. Like, okay, these are all the YouTube episodes that Adam's done on there. Here's all the ones Sal's done, Danny's done, Jordan Syed's done, Shal. And we're looking at all the analytics and it's really not as successful as it looks it is right now. In fact, a lot of the success is riding on the initial content that some of us created on there. Mm -hmm. So here's an area that we're trying to figure out right now that an outsider looking in might go, oh, man, they're crushing it. They're killing it. And I look at it and I go, we're doing terrible right now mm. because what's happening is an old video that I did on biceps a year and a half ago is still trending so hard right now that it's adding 200 of those those 500 subscribers every single day. An old video that Sal did two years ago is still adding 150. And there's a bunch of those that we have that are still trending really hard. And so we see just the, and everybody else sees, oh, wow, they're just growing, 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 growing. But yet I've employed all these other people that are running it and keeping it going but they're actually not really contributing much to the growth of it. They're sustaining it for us and they, they allow us to scale out of it, but that needs to be addressed. Like that's an area that's not successful that may look successful on the outside. And there's tons of like little things like that within the business. Again, I mentioned earlier about uh, the back end. So the back end from a marketing perspective uh, converts uh, at a, an average of what it should. So, you know, if you're getting two to four con conversion rate, your opening rate is, you know, 25 to 30% on emails, you're successful. It's doing, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Well, that's fine and all, but it's not, it does, it's not telling our story. It doesn't have our fingerprints all over it. I know we can go in and improve it. So 
we've done it. It's working, but it needs to be improved. That's like every day, dude. Every there's a, <laughs> and we can go across the board on everything. And I could tear apart everything that maybe somebody else on the outside looks at and goes, "Oh wow, it looks successful." That's what I love about you. You are so into the details. It's not even funny. It's it. I'm I'm learning so much just by sitting here with you. Just uh, just just seeing like everything that you look into, not just creating a good product in terms of podcast conversation, but the business side. Um, it's the mistake. Yeah. It's the mistake you see a lot of people make right now, and especially in this Instagram social media world. Is I mean, we just had Brett Contreras here yesterday. Great guy. Um, really, really liked him a lot. Incredible information. Um, probably would be somebody we remain in contact with and we'll be friends with. Has a book. Invented something. Like, fucking super famous in the fitness world right now. Um, lots of holes in his business, the way he's running. Like, everything he's driving right now is coming from his attention on his Instagram. And, I mean, what happens when the algorithm changes? Or what happens if Instagram blows up? Or what happens if they just stop, you know? That's crazy to me that we have a lot of people that because they have success right now, just like we're having success right now, they let off the throttle and they go, or they just enjoy it and they go out and they're blowing their money and they're having a good time and they're just like, ah, I'm killing it. I'm famous right now. Well, that could all change. And so we're all very much so, especially I would say Doug and I, this is the part where Doug and I really geek out on this part. So, and each one of us have our strengths. This would be Doug and my strength where we love to look at the back end of everything and go like, okay, let's not get shell shocked by the success that we're having right now and the revenue that's generating. Let's look at all the opportunities to improve and add more value to our audience and our consumer. So we've been, and then we've been this way since day one. I mean, when we, we had a product to sell when the podcast started, Maps Anabolic was created already. Sal and Doug had already set it all up. It was ready to rock and make money. And you know, you and I are talking a little bit about the uh, off air, the importance of, and I think you have the right mindset, the importance of showing that you have a really good product and add a ton of value so much that it stands alone on its own. It continues to scale organically by itself. And that was what we, we want to do. And we didn't want to taint our audience by coming right away, just because we had a few people like, okay, we're in the thousands now, let's start making some money. Because mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, we knew that, okay, even though we have thousands of people listening, we throw this product out. What are we really going to make? In best case scenario, a few thousand dollars. Like we're none of us are going to retire off of that. We don't have a real viable business at that point. So why go in and do that to our audience? Let's wait until we have such an amazing product, which we did, until people were literally doing this. We started to get emails and DMs like on the regular of people trying to give us money. They started telling us, You've given me so much value. You've helped me out so much in my in my personal life, in my weight training, in my I've lost all this weight. I've been, I've built all this muscle. Can, do you guys have a Patreon I can pay towards? Can I send you money? When we started getting that on the on the regular, we all knew. Then we knew. Okay, now it's time. If people are trying to just give us money because they feel we've added so much value to their lives, I'm pretty sure that when we release a program that's a hundred dollars that a lot of these people are going to feel compelled. That's exactly what happened. Many people, when we released the program, came back and said, I'm already following another program, but I wanted to buy this to support what you're, you guys are building and what you're doing. Then we knew. We knew we had a, a real business, or we we knew we could build a real business because we had built that much value. And, it's like, and so that stays true to this day. 
You know, there's lots of ways that this business can go make more money doing other things. And I would say that when people ask me on interviews like this, what do you think the most challenging thing is, you know, running Mind Pump? And I say, well, it would be saying no, saying no to all the opportunity. There's always opportunity to go make money and do things. And remembering our why and why we started this, which was to change the fitness industry, add so much value and content for free that we would just blow everybody away. So we always go back and we look at the business and all the different uh, pillars and go, okay, where can we be better here? Another example of this is our our forum, our private forum when it first started. Uh, it started with zero people, then there was five, then there was 10. And when there was 10 people in there and we weren't selling anything and we didn't have anything going on, man, and we had no other stuff with the business, Sal, me, and Justin and Doug were all in there and we were talking to all those 10 of those people. Those 10 people that first started in that forum are like tight with us. I mean- Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they got all this attention. And so did the first even 100 to 200. Now, eventually that grew to thousands and that those thousands are responsible for a lot of the consistent revenue that would come into the business. And so they got a lot of catering to when they were everything. I mean, they were really helping drive that- uh, that for you know your thousand your thousand tribe when you first start how how important that is to building a real sustainable business they're super responsible well at one point all the other things started to build around this and they scaled and got so big that this is like nothing anymore in comparison and so one of the things that we had to be careful about and we felt that we started to do is we became so distracted in all the other areas to make money and the other areas that are supporting us that. We started to neglect the small group that was responsible for taking care of us and actually helping build this business. That's important to us. So Sal, this last month, is now going on there one hour a day, uh, four days out of the month, where he just spends and talks to all of them. And they have an opportunity to pick his brain and ask whatever questions. And it'll be really easy for the average person to just ignore that. Because it's not going to make us any more money. It's not going to pay Sal more. It's going to pay us more. It takes now four hours of his time that I could really use him doing other things in the business. But because, again, that shit's really important to us and making sure that we're continuing to build and add value in all aspects of the business, even if the return on it isn't there financially, that's the shit that has made this thing so sustainable, is, doing, is thinking like that and not, oh, shit, if we go do this, if I spend those four hours over here, we can make us some more money real quick. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's hard to make sure you you're careful on not making those decisions. So that's probably one of the hardest things that I have to think about, or we all have to think about on a, on a regular basis. You know, you said something that uh, that I want to bring up. Um, I feel that that a lot of businesses are just looking for success, but for you guys, you are very interested in fulfillment, and I say that because of what you, the story you just told me, mm-hmm. the fact that Sal is going on and reconnecting with the people who, who are on the forum, the people who, who helped you get started and the people who you value, essentially, you're not just, you're not necessarily just trying to make your money. Right. Um, I, that's what I find so cool about you guys. Well, you know? I, I, I think that's because we just define success different. I think that everybody has a different definition for what success is to them. And we talk about this a lot. Like if we all got together at 25, um, we probably would have, this thing would have imploded just because of where our mindsets were. My definition of success at 25 was a dollar amount. Um, 
I, I was chasing a certain amount of revenue and money that I needed to make. I was obviously from a, a kid who came from very little and food stamps and being evicted from homes and shit like that. Um, that was a very, very major driver for me for a, a big portion of my life. And in between 28 and 30, I reached that and found out that I was unbelievably unhappy. You know, here I am. I worked my ass off to get to this point to have this much money yet I'm in the worst shape of my life. I have the worst relationships with my friends and family. Um, I'm unhappy. I'm unfulfilled. Holy shit. This wasn't the answer. So because I went through that and I feel that Doug, Sal, and John, I'm the youngest, right? So I'm 37 going on 38. They're all even older than I am. So we've all kind of experienced that one way or another where we've chased the money, got the money, realized the money wasn't the answer. That So we're looking for something else. And so when we just define success differently. You know, and that's what's made it very easy to scale this business when it would be really easy to put, you know, millions of dollars in our own pockets because the business is having that success. We don't need to because that's not the driver of the business. You know, we care so much of adding so much value to other people's lives that the money thing comes. It will come later. Even like when we do our live events, that's the real motivation by that. Those, that's a money sucking loser for us, even though we charge for them. And again, outsider looking in goes, oh, wow, they're charging 30 to $100 a ticket and X amount of people show up like, oh, they're probably making a little bit of money off that. Like, oh, absolutely not. Like the amount of people that we have to pay to be there, to run it, to organize it, uh, to edit it, to get it out, to market it, the space that we need to rent to do all of it, we lose. But where we win, it's not money, is the ability to touch 100 to 200 lives in person and spend time with the people that are listening to us for hours every single day and see how we've impacted life. Oh my God, the fulfillment that that is inside like is unbelievable and there's no dollar amount that you can put on that and that's what why we do it we do it selfishly because it reminds us of our why and why we created this business and it keeps us very grounded and focused every time we do one of them but it's a terrible business strategy it's not a big money maker but again our definition of success is maybe different than somebody else yeah and i i just want to acknowledge you for for you know, your, your self-awareness in, in realizing, you know, that it's, it's not just about the money. It's really about creating these connections and sticking to the why of, of why you created mind pump. And in turn, I know you, you're not huge on motivation, but just you and your, and all, and the mind pump story is super inspiring to people like me. And I'm sure the rest of the mind pump audience, and I sincerely appreciate that. Very cool, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what motivates me to do this, <laughs> to, to come up and, and have a conversation with you. So I think that's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a very cool. cool space to be in and, you know, something that the four of us, it's really neat that I found three other men that are in similar places yet so different. I mean, if you talk to or interview Sal, Justin and Doug, um, I mean, we couldn't be more different in so many ways, right? But there are a few things that I think we're very similar and it's a, a lot of our values and the things that are important to us and kind of where we're at in our lives. And so it's pretty cool to to have linked up with three other men that are like that in their life because it really is what keeps this this whole thing grounded and continue and the continued success. It's a, it's an unbelievable thing that 5 years in and I've never never once, and this is not some bullshit exaggeration, I've never once 
not wanted to come to work. Like I could just, I wake up and I'm like, I can't wait to get there today. And even like today, everyone's off and doing their thing. Like I get it. I have two interviews today. You're the first of the two. And it gives me an opportunity to meet other people that I enjoy, that I connect with, that I get to learn from, that I get to speak with that, that, and I'm big on relationships. So one of my favorite parts aside, if you haven't figured out already, the analytics and the data and the numbers and all that, like, I love that. The other side that I really enjoy and I thrive in is relationship building. So um, I pride myself on the ability to, to connect with people, to stay in con- connection with people, um, to do things for other people. Uh, that I, has proven uh, to help me a t- tremendous amount through my whole experience of leadership and management and growing other businesses is, you know, and it's cliche to say it, but it's true. It's it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's proven to be true for me many times over. And so I double and triple down on that. And when we first started this business, um, that was something I did. A lot of people don't know this. I literally have everybody who's ever come through this show. So there's, I think, I think I'm 400 and something on this list now of um, all these influencers, PhDs, authors, um, and whatever. And I have their social media status, their email ranking, their, um, where they're at, their personal phone number, all their, all their stuff. And I pay attention to that. And then early on, it was very easy for me to do it when there was 10 and then 20 or 30, I'd be uh, every day I'm texting, talking to what can I do for you or noticing things on their social and making sure I'm connecting, but that's such an important piece to me in the business that we I keep tabs on that. And now we got into a place where we can scale. And because I can't handle that anymore, now I can employ somebody else to make sure that they that they keep those values up for me. I value relationships. I value other people so much. And I know it's impossible. I can't possibly reach 400 people anymore. But I can tell my staff to go, hey, listen, Make sure when this this person's birthday, they get a card from us from this. Make sure when this happens in their business, they get this. Make sure when so-and-so has a kid, you send a message over and do this. And so I can employ people that we pay money to make sure I keep doing that because it adds so much value back to the business. Again, that's an investment that somebody else would come in and go, well, that makes no sense. You've employed a person that's working for $25 an hour and like their main job is to just send other people free shit or make comments. Like, yeah, because I value that so much. And that to me is the stuff that the little things in business that I think a lot of people don't either share or don't do that I think make a big difference. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. Mm. Seriously. Um, speaking of kids, we got to bring this up. Congratulations to, to you and Katrina, man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. How, how is that going? It's a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. It's a motherfucker, man. I tell you what, haven't, uh, it's the most selfless thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, it's given me more purpose than I've ever had in my life. Um, it's, I definitely have changed, uh, many ways. Um, it's cool, man. It is really cool. It's hard. And I I tell the boys and I talk off air a lot about it and we, we joke about why everybody says that fatherhood is like just the most amazing thing that you can ever experience. And I laugh because a lesson that I've learned a long time ago, and I share this with people when they ask me, like going through dark times in your life, because I've had plenty of them that I can uh, look back at. And one of the things that I learned early on was the harder something was, the more dark, the scarier, whatever it was, the better it was on the other side when I made it through it. So if I had something that was 
a, a little struggle and I make it through it, like, oh, I feel good uh, on the other side a little bit. If I had something that was fucking dire or holy shit, this knocked me down for weeks, for months, or borderline depression over, if I make it through that, holy fuck, the other side of that is amazing. And I've learned this in my life. And so the joke that we talk about with the kids thing afterwards, I'm like, well, now I understand why it's so rewarding. It's so fucking hard. (laughs) So (laughs) this is why everybody talks about why it's so amazing, because it's not one day of hard work. It's not a couple. It's you've now signed up for years of struggle and living your life for another human being. And you are committed to that. And you know, it's a beautiful thing, and I think it teaches a lot of people a lot less. Now, I think I learned a lot of these lessons heading in, so I appreciated that, and I waited till way later in my life because I knew that I didn't want to struggle in my early 20s or mid-20s with where I was at personally. I knew I wasn't ready for kids and then. Not that, and everybody always says, oh my God, if you would have had a kid 25, you would have been fine. You were financially stable. You were a smart guy. You were very self-aware. But I was also so self-aware that I knew – I wasn't ready to dedicate my life to another human being to make sure that their life is better than my own. I was still on a selfish path and I knew that and I was okay with that. You know, I I feel like my first half of my life, I didn't uh, have a selfish life and it was very selfless and whatever. And the back half of it has been spent on the things that I want and what I want for myself. And then I got to a place where I think that I've accomplished a lot of those things and then also, I think, which is really important, is finding the right partner that you're going to go go into with this. And I found that. And I couldn't be happier now raising a child with an amazing woman that I have, working in a career that I'm glad that I, I have found. You know, this it's so conducive to what I'm trying to do. I mean, we have the flexibility. I mean, our schedule is scheduled around Doug, Sal, and Justin's kids before I even had one. So... And at first, that used to frustrate me. It was really tough. I was like, because I was the one without a kid, like, why the fuck are we not here till 7, 8 p.m. at night, every single night? <laughs> and they all would look back at me and be like, because, bro, it's not just about money for us. It's not just about making this thing bigger, faster. Um, why we do this is so that we can be better, better fathers and spend more time with our kids and not miss the soccer practice and not miss coaching the baseball team and, you know, whatever. Like, so... That's extremely important. And now I understand and I get that and I'm blessed that I already had partners that had already valued that so much that they care more about being a great father than they care about being a super successful or financially successful entrepreneur. You know, it's 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 funny how everything kind of goes full circle here. You know, you're the oldest of four. Now your business is, you know, basically four people plus your plus your team. Yeah. You are the 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 latest yeah. to have a kid yeah. and instead of being uh the leader uh you know CEO uh-huh. you are now the learner yeah and you know trying to understand or or slowly understanding you know what this whole kid thing is all about right totally totally yeah. so it's been great man it's been a I mean, it's amazing to come home to him every single day and 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 look at him and and watch his development. Uh, and again, it's been, it's amazing to watch because it's changed my relationship with Katrina. Uh, you know, we've been together for nine years now. Uh, the things that I was incredibly attracted about her early on have evolved and changed. I I was attracted to her independence. I was attracted to her entrepreneurship, um, her self awareness, and 
uh, that stuff just mattered so much to me. And I was so drawn to her that, oh, we're going to be this power couple and we are, and it's amazing. And now that I see her with my son, it's like, that's everything to me. It's like, man, all that other stuff is as important as I always believed it was. Um, how you raise my son and the way you are with him trumps that completely. And we're going through that right now. She's supposed to go back to work uh, next Monday. And I'm having this like internal struggle of this is what I loved about this woman is that she's so independent and motivated. And then the other side of me is like, why? We don't need the money. It doesn't make sense to go do this. <laughs> I want you with my son. But then I also don't want to, you know, oppress her at all. Like, so it's this really challenge that I'm going through right now that I've learned to just kind of let things unfold and and have faith that it'll work itself out and be supportive for her, let her make the decision. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. You know, this is going to be interesting when she decides to start going back to, to him and she's going back, not because we need the revenue for the family, but just purely because she likes to work and she enjoys that. We'll see how much she likes that when she's not seeing her son on a regular basis. So, oh man, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, man, I kind of got goosebumps when you were mm. talking about that. I mm. just so so loving, man. Mm. So loving. Mm. Um, they say like it it takes a village to to grow a child, and you know, not only does the baby have you and Katrina, which is amazing, but three pretty badass uncles. That are uh, that are gonna be oh that's something so right now we're we're in the middle of looking for a place up in Tahoe that we're gonna buy with the company and you know what's cool again where everyone's values are I mean Sal was just talking about this the other day that like more than anything else what he wants with this place because we're talking about renting it out and monetizing it but even more so is just a place for us to bring all of our families up and our kids and our kids get to know you know, Uncle Adam, Uncle Sal, Uncle Doug, and they are getting cross-pollinated by all these great minds and great leaders and really great men and women because all of us have incredible partners too. So well, that's something that we all talk about as something that's really important to us. So again, another example of, you know, it's not just about money for us. Um, you know, our financial advisor would, would tell us to take that money and buy 16 apartments in South Carolina and turn it into a cash flow uh, within three to six months and actually be making money, a lot of money off of it, where we're kind of like, well, yeah, that makes us more money and that would be great, but we're never going to go to an apartment in South Carolina and <laughs> use that. And all of us are at a place in our life where our children, our families, all those things are really important. And so well, we'll take less money and do something that is better for all of us or things that we care yeah. more about. So definitely where everyone's at. Got it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, last, last two questions before we wrap up here. Um, who are your mentors and who would you, who would you recommend to, uh, to listen to for the audience? You know, that's a really hard question because I really didn't feel like I had a lot of mentors. I definitely didn't feel like I had mentors growing up. Um, I, I was a kid who saw what his parents or his elders were doing and kind of was motivated that I was going to do things the opposite. So that was a lot of what motivated me early on. And then when I, I would say the first like mentorship or somebody who I felt was like a mentor at all to me didn't come till I was 20 and I was working at 24 hour fitness and 
uh, a good buddy, someone who ended up being uh, a really good friend of mine. I was the best man in his wedding, and uh, we connected uh, when I was 21. Was Mark Baker, who uh, was just he was the GM at the time. I was the FM at the time. Um, we were he was about four or five years older than I was. And so a little more experience uh, in in our field and in life and in business, just a little bit more than me. And uh, one of the most talented uh, workers I've ever met in my life. I mean, his his work ethic was uh, second to none. And he taught me a lot about that, uh, a lot about humility and the ability to put my head down and grind and to never put myself above my staff or my people and, and definitely like speed of the leader. That was like the first big lesson, um, that I received from him and probably the single best advice ever given in my life came from him. And I've shared this on our podcast, the story that, uh, where this happened, it was on a, probably a year into management for me and him and I are working together. I had just crushed goal the month before and um, I'm excited, you know, I'm 21 years old, smash goal. My bot, my district manager is coming in the next day to see me. And I'm excited, you know, boss is coming in. He's probably going to tell me how great I am because I just hit 130 something percent of goal. And so I'm really pumped up to see, see the boss, right? Um, everybody loves affirmation, right? So he comes, he comes in and that's not what I get. Uh, actually, what I get is like a full-blown audit. He comes in and audits all my stuff. And those that have listened to our show for a long time know that, um, my organizational skills are not my strength. Um, I lean heavily on on people, uh, people, and I'm not good at sitting down at a desk and number crunching and creating files and tabs and highlighting and all that bullshit. And so he comes in and just like picks me apart. You know, your files aren't together here and you're not highlighting this and you should have tiers set up this way and why are these papers over here and just picks apart everything I'm doing. And it doesn't beat me up or anything. I, I have a really good... Uh, attitude around stuff like that and good self-awareness that, okay, there's areas I can improve. Um, I can be better. So the very next day, it's like five o'clock at night, which in, in the gym industry, that's called prime time. That's when the most people are coming through. The most opportunity for business is happening. And I'm in my desk in the back office and I've got it all like paper clips out and stapler and I'm highlighting and I'm organizing my files and doing stuff. And Mark walks back and he looks at me and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I go, oh, you know, Nagoya came in yesterday and he, you know, told me I need to do this. I need to do that. I'm not doing this well. And he looks at me for a second and then he takes his hand and he goes, and he clears the whole fucking desk off all the shit that I was working on. No shit. And I look at him I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he looks back at me and goes, listen, you're in this position at 21 years old for a reason. Stop focusing on the things that you're not good at. Focus on what you're good at and become fucking great. And that shit just forever changed my life. It be, I changed the way I looked at everything that I did in business going forward. And still to this day, it's probably one of the single most important things that I think attributes to any of the success I've had in this business or any other business. Because really quickly, I accept areas that I know that I'm not the best in and I'm okay with looking for others that are more talented or better than I am and giving away some of my money to employ them and motivate them to be great at that position. And I don't worry about it. And I move to areas that I know are my strengths and I double and I triple down on it. That has allowed me to accelerate and scale more than anything else, other else in my life for sure. So that was probably the first 
major mentor for me. And we were together for a long time, all the way until I was almost 30 years old. We actually built a couple of businesses together. I even did the medical marijuana industry with him. Uh, and we were very successful and he's very successful where he's at now. Um, and then I would say the, the other, you know, mentors that I've had in my life would probably be the men that I work with today. I mean, one of the blessings that I, I have with the four of us being so unique and different and we have different strengths, I can always look to one of them and they don't even have to say anything. It's just by their actions, they influence how I react or what I do. So it's it's been this incredible uh, growth incubator that we've created here. And I think that's, again, part of some of the success that the show has had is nobody out of the four owners is okay with where they're at personally. They're all so focused on personal development and personal growth on a day-to-day -day basis that you can't help but be influenced by them every single day. It's And it's in a very motivating way. If I see Sal really improving on his interview skills or the way he talks on video or the way he's writing in content, he may not know it. He may not even have to communicate anything. I see that and I'm like, fuck, I really need to level up the things that I'm contributing and what I'm doing to the business. Or if I come in here at 6, 7 p.m. at night and Doug's still over here, all headphones and the computer working on stuff like and I wanted to go home and take the night off and stuff like that. Like, man, part of me is like, fuck, if Doug is burying himself into this business, like there's no way I'm not going to bury myself into this. And so you see all those things in these guys. And it's like this incredible mentorship that we all have with each other. And it's unsaid. But when I think about people that have really influenced my life and helped mentor me, um, I would have to say my buddy Mark was probably the first one that I spent a lot of time. He taught me a lot of lessons. He also pushed me in, in reading more also around those times. That was, in fact, I remember I was on the phone. Maybe that was what catapulted the reading because you're making me remember now this. I do remember that we were in different clubs and we were managing. I used to always call him to vent before I ever responded to people, like if I had something going on. And I think I remember venting to him about being pissed off about not being promoted. And I think it was probably him, you know, fucking stop worrying about them developing you or this, that go do it yourself. Go read, read this book. I've sent over to you. Read that book. I've told you about already. Like, so it was probably him who really pushed me in that direction. Um, and sent that or lit that fire. So other than that, like a, a lot of my mentorships have been observing a lot of other really successful people. Um, I try my best to surround myself with people that are doing great things. This is advice I was just giving to my brother-in-law the other day. He was asking, uh, about mentorship stuff. And I said, you know, I don't have a really good answer when it comes to the mentor thing. But what I did realize early on uh, was that you are an average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I don't think that people evaluate that enough. Um, you know, we get we do get stuck in these relationships of people that that feed something for us. And a lot of times it's an insecurity or it's an addiction or it's uh, an, an area that we need to work on and we ignore it because it's easy and it's you're numb to it. It's like, oh, we're best friends since we were in kindergarten or we've been best friends since high school. But if you really can detach yourself from that and go, okay, how much is that relationship serving me in all these other areas that I claim to be that are so important to me? I claim that I want to be successful. I claim that I want to build this big podcast and I want to do all of these things. Okay, well, 
that time that I spend with that friend that we just have history together. Maybe we used to get drunk at all the high school parties all the time, or we played sports together. And so we feel like we've been in battle or where we serve time together, like whatever the fuck your thing is that has made you attract to that person, evaluating how much are they serving this greater purpose that you claim to have and, and then evaluating how many of those people are in your circle and then trying to level up the people that you are spending the most time with. To me, that has been some of the greatest mentorship that I've ever received is actively going out and seeking people that I admire or look up to or doing things in the space that I'm interested in and getting making time with them. And the advice that I gave to my brother-in-law about this, because he's like, well, then how do you do that? Like, what do you just you call him up and ask him if you want to hang out with him? I'm like, no, absolutely not. I look for areas that I can add value to their life. So if they're doing something, and for him, we were talking about real estate because he wants to get into real estate really bad. And he's got, um, you know, he's like, he's got this drive in him right now. And he's like, what do, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Like, tell me what to do and I'll, I'll go work on it. I said, okay, well, right now on Saturdays, you're not working. So why don't you find a local realtor or a actual agency, go inside there, find somebody who's doing well, probably one of the more successful ones and volunteer your time volunteer to go house to house with them and carry the signs or whatever, or do something on your free time to add value to their business or whatever they're doing without asking anything in return. And you can see like the look on his face, like he was not excited (laughs) for that advice whatsoever. And I said, but that's just it. Like you got to understand how important that is because, and maybe, and here's the thing, you have to accept that you may do that. You may get somebody who doesn't give a shit, uses you for the young kid that you are who's trying to help out and you spend all this time doing that and they don't give a fuck and you don't get anything out of it. And you can't allow that one situation to deter you from ever doing that again. You got to keep doing that. And eventually the right person will will show you the right opportunity. The right person will value that, that you do that. And that ends up being a relationship that you've built with them and you have no idea what they could potentially introduce you to or even the job that could come from that because you led with that foot. And so start seeking out people that you admire, you look up to, you aspire to be like, are doing great things in the space that you're interested in and find ways to add value and donate your time to that. And the right people will see that and see that value in you and it will come back, but you can't lead with that. I want this or I need this from that. You got to give and give, and then eventually, it'll all work itself out, man. I, I promise. If you go with that that attitude, I've had that attitude since day one. Like I always seek that out for people that are doing shit that I, I aspire to be like. And you know, sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't, and you got to be okay with that. And the ones that do work out end up being really, really good friends. I mean. Before we got on air, I was sharing with you about Jordan Harbinger. Uh, we've become incredibly good friends, and we text on a regular basis. And part of that was when we first started. Um, you know, we offered to bring him on our show and promote him. And hey, anything, any way we can do, anything we can do to help your business out. Anytime we get good guests that are big names, we send over to send over to him to make sure he's someone. This morning, the text that I was going back and forth with him is that. He's paying money for a guy to do that's like a SEO brilliant dude that's going to make sure his podcast is ranking high on Google on all these different pages and set up backlinks. 
and he goes, Hey, I, I want to bring you guys along. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. Um, if you, if you backlink with me, I'll take care of all the SEO stuff and make sure that you guys are ranking up top with us. And that's like, that's because of all the stuff that has been done for the last three, four years of our relationship of always leading with what can I do for you? And that's what you got to know is that sometimes the payoff doesn't happen right away or even months later or even years later. But if you continue to give with that attitude of not looking for anything in return and adding value to other people's lives, eventually that stuff does come around and it comes around with the right people. And, and a lot of times it pays off and it pays off really big. It's the same formula that works for the business. We just keep adding value to people's lives. Eventually the money comes. We don't have to think about that like anymore that, oh, we've got to do this to get money back. No, let's keep adding value. Just like we talked about the form earlier. Sal will keep doing that, keep doing that. Sure, it may not pay us right now, but long-term, it ends up adding so much value to lives. The right people, it'll spark something in them, and I'm sure it will come back tenfold. Maybe not now, maybe in two, three, four years, but it doesn't matter. Do you ever listen to someone and then just be like, you know what, this makes sense with what's going on, with with how they are and, and what they're in? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I feel like when I meet somebody really quick, um, well, first of all, one, I, I say that this is an off-air thing. I've never shared this before. Uh, I get questions sometimes about like, man, do you get like really nervous when you have like a big, massive guest that comes on the show, like a big PhD or like a big author like Ryan Holiday or Mark Manson, which are a couple of big interviews that we just had recently. Right. I love, I love Mark Manson. And like, did you get freaked out about that? I said, no, you know, what's funny is I have this weird, this weird ability to like instantly see anybody at like 13 years old. Like I can just see you at 13 and it like just totally, uh, it just breaks down everybody. And I can see the kid and everybody and, and how you probably interacted with other children and, uh, your personality type. And a lot of times the, the PhD, the success, uh, the vocabulary, all these things are all like armor that people have put on in the muscle, sometimes big buff, you know, bodybuilder guys. These are all the armor that they have built to protect that little inner child in all of them. And when you can break that all down and see the inner child, uh, they're not much different than you or I. And, and I can see that in people really easily and go like, Oh, that makes sense. Like this is why he acts this way. This is why he talks this way. This is why he's had those success. And a lot of times, believe it or not, and I think that the, the more you do this, and I've had the opportunity, I have a sports agent friends. I've made good relationships with a lot of people in professional sports. So I've been a lot around a lot of, you know, quote unquote, famous people. And something that I learned really early on was that a lot of them are fucked up and very dysfunctional. And that's what's made them so great at this thing that we all admire about them. Uh, they're the superstar football player. Well, what made them that way? Well, they had a fucking shitty ass childhood. Their only way out was maybe football. They poured everything into that and they became unbelievably great. Problem is along the way, they forgot about personal development, social awareness, uh, business acumen. Uh, all this communication, all these other aspects that make a pretty good human being, they poured into this one thing that we all see on television and go, oh my God, he's amazing. Like, is he really? Or is he just incredible at his craft because he's put the dedication in that craft? And that translates even to some of your greatest 
CEOs that you'll meet or authors or people you we admire them for their work that they've done because that's really all we know about them. I get a chance to sit down and, and talk to them both on air and off air and I can unpack all of that really quick and go like, oh, okay. This is an insecurity that you've had since you were a child. That insecurity drove you so hard into this dark place that you found something light out of it and turned it into something that looks like gold to everybody else. But inside, I know that you're battling with all these other things. So I see that all the time. And it's literally what makes the interview and what makes me able to do it is because I know I got tons of faults. I know I got demons. I know I've got issues. I know that I've got tons of insecurities. The difference with probably uh, my partners and I versus a lot of people we meet is I think we wear it on our sleeves and we, we lead with that, with that authenticity of this is who I am. You know, this, these are my insecurities. These are the things about me. And we share that. I think that's what connects with our audience so well. Uh, but when I meet people that are super famous, more often than I'm more surprised when I meet somebody that we all think is so amazing and they really are so amazing. Like on all, all that, they're a great human being. They're incredibly socially aware, um, emotionally intelligent. Um, they're good communicators. They're good friends. They're good husbands and whatever. If they, if they really have all that together and they have this success that we are all looking up to, I'm more, I'm more blown away when that actually happens. It's more common that I see somebody who is just as broken or more broken and dysfunctional than any of us. They've just shifted all their energy and focus into one area because they don't want to deal with all the other shit that's going on in their life. And they just got fucking really good at whatever their craft is, man. You know, I want to sit here and just keep talking and listening to, to everything that you're saying because, Oh man, it's so fucking good. It's so good. Um, when, when, uh, you agreed to do the podcast, I told my girlfriend and she went fucking nuts because you are her favorite on mind pump. And I'm going to tell the guys that just remember that. Yeah. Soundbite, yep. Doug, could you take that soundbite out there? for me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Sorry, Sal. Uh, it, that's what she did. And, um, she, she, was so happy and keep in mind, like, yeah, I was fucking like going crazy inside too. Um, but she says like, you are the old man in the young man's body because you just, you have this unbelievable wisdom, which is like, you know, what, what I've been telling you. Um, and it's so true. It's just so true. Well, I've, I've always been an old soul. And I, again, it's, the, the childhood stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you thrust yourself into, I mean, I, again, I've liked stories of doing things at a very young age that to me just seemed no normal. And other people are like, that's crazy that you were doing that. It's also why I waited so long to have a kid. Um, I have two younger siblings that I'm 13 and 14 years apart from. And so uh, at a very early age, uh, you know, I was helping raise them. So I changed diapers and I did the formula milk and I rocked them to sleep and I did all that stuff uh, a lot um, when I was in my teens. So I saw that firsthand and that was part, a lot of people used to think I had like commitment issues or I'm like, you know, oh, why hasn't this guy married and had kids and done stuff? I said, well, you know, I, I experienced kind of what fatherhood was like as a teenage boy and like. I saw the sacrifice that it took to do that. I was like, fuck, no, I ain't ready for that. So, you know, I'm definitely an old soul for for many reasons, uh, but yet still such a baby and so many other things. I mean, there's so much that I'm constantly learning and, and growing and figuring out. And man, in the last four years, I'd say this podcast is 
grown and developed me more than anything else that I've ever done. I'm so blessed to sit and have conversations with other like-minded people that care about growth and learning and doing that. I mean, it's just, it fast tracks you. I mean, and selfishly, uh, aside from being able to create a career that makes good money and shit like that, that to me is the most valuable part of what I get to do is to sit down and talk to all these brilliant minds. And to the point that I was just talking about, like, it's really good to, to understand that these people that we all aspire to be like, and we look up are, are more human than we think they are. And I think that's, I think that's important for the average person who, who looks at a lot of these famous people and just think they're so amazing uh, to know that a lot of them are a lot more broken than you think they are. And they're a lot more normal than you think you are. And they're not, you're not that far off than they are. They've just, they've learned to take something uh, that was dark and bad or insecure about and pivot that energy into whatever craft that they fell in love with. And a lot of times that craft distracted them from the other things that they didn't want to think about and work on. And it was a bit of obsessiveness that made them a superhero and whatever that is. And um, it, you figure that out when you start to get around a lot of these people and it humanizes them and it makes you realize, and it makes you question too, your own values and your own things that you find important. Um, probably as a teenage boy or in my early twenties, I looked at superstar athletes or super famous people and thought I wanted to be like that one day. And after learning all that, I don't. And you can see that in reflected in our business. Like, you know, I don't want the fame from, from any of this. None of us do. That's, what's kind of cool about where we're all at. Like nobody needs to be the guy. In fact, nobody wants to be the guy. Everybody's like, you know, oh, the YouTube's getting bigger and bigger. Let's put somebody else on it. So they, they're the ones that everybody knows. Like one of the most, uh, powerful uh, or exciting moments for me, which is a weird behind the scenes CEO thing that I uh, I haven't shared is I remember uh, the day that our, our marketing team uh, was sending me over an email from somebody and it was somebody who's now purchased like two or three of our programs and they, don't, they didn't know who Mind Pump Adam was. And that was like a very cool moment for me. Like I was excited about that. Like we've built something that is scaled to a size that is driving so much traffic and revenue from all different areas that there's people buying from us that don't even know who the fuck I am. Like, and we all like that. We all want that. We all don't want to be like famous and care about any of that stuff. We care about building something that is so sustainable that it adds so much value to people. I just answered this on my Q and a, the other day, like, you know, someone asked me what my end goal was to the, to the business. And I'm like, I don't have an end goal for the business. I have a lot of goals within the business that are really important to me. And I said, one of those is I would love to serve and change a million lives that don't know that I served and changed a million lives. Like I like the idea of that more so than I like having a million people know who I am, I'd rather do something. For example, like I, I've always geeked out in business on the the guy or girl who invented the fucking little the little paper thing that goes around the hot coffee coffee cups or the the plastic lid that goes on there that you flip open or the paper clip or the umbra the things that we take for granted that are incredibly valuable to all the things that we do or use in life. But you have no idea that's some dude that or girl who's fucking brilliant that fucking is hella famous or, or successful, but is not famous 
that is more interesting to me than becoming the person who like they see me when I walk down the street and they're like, Oh shit, that's Adam. I'm like, no, I don't care for that. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather be the guy like, man, this fucking, this was a brilliant idea. I wonder who this was. And you could be sitting in the same room as that motherfucker. Like that's, yeah, that's where I want to be. That's so cool, man. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And thank you very much for, uh, for your time and, and Doug as well. Um, Man, this was a profound conversation and I really, really do appreciate it. Um, where can listeners go find Mind Pump and um, everything about you? Um, it's almost impossible not to find us these days. If you search Mind Pump, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Uh, the things, though, that I normally tell audiences that are listening to me for the first time or any of us is take advantage of all the free content that we've provided for people before you even think about investing anything in what we have to sell or offer. And that is, we have our mindpumpfree.com, which is tons of free guides that we've created pertaining to building muscle, losing body fat, uh, even developing personal trainers. I mean, there's a ton of incredible free content on there. Take advantage of that. We have a YouTube channel, Mind Pump TV, which is releasing free content three, four times a week, every single day, which is exercise demos, nutritional tips, read or listen and follow all that stuff. We have uh, a newsletter, a Friday fitness tip, uh, three to five blogs that go out every single week uh, where we have people writing incredible content that comes from the team. Uh, that's on the website, uh, mindpumpmedia.com. Read those, take advantage of those as much as you can, and then interact with us on Instagram. Instagram is probably where uh, the three hosts are most active. You know, Mind Pump Sal, Mind Pump Justin, and then myself, Mind Pump Adam. You can follow us and then interact and ask questions. We, we engage with people as much as we can. Uh, we did with everybody for as long as we could. It's obviously got to a point now where, unfortunately, I don't reach every single person, but we all find ways to try and add value to everybody on there that's communicating with us. So use all those things. We also have a free app, uh, Mind Pump Media, uh, which allows you to search specific topics. So if you're coming into Mind Pump for the first time and you're like, holy shit, these guys have way too much content for me to try and filter through, uh, and you have specific things that you want to learn about or you want to hear about, we have a free app called Mind Pump Media. On there is a search bar. You put in a topic, fat loss, ketogenic diet, uh, veganism, whatever, uh, and then episodes where we've talked about those specific topics populate, and then you can click on and listen to. So take advantage of all our free stuff. Don't buy anything from me. Go on, listen to everything, uh, and try out everything that we, we have to offer. And then uh, hopefully we end up being somebody that you're in our community and that we can continue to serve and help. Yeah. You want to know, know something funny? Hmm. When I first heard you heard the Mind Pump podcast. You got us all confused. Very confused. I know it's something that we we actually talk about a lot because it's uh, we think it's hilarious because I think uh, it's Justin and I. I mean, Sal stands out. That's what everybody says mm -hmm. that his voice is so different. But they people say that Justin and I sound alike. Now, when we first started the podcast, we used to uh, hi, this is Adam. You know, we used to do that like so mm -hmm. people knew who each one of us were, and now we're just like, oh, it is what it is. New people come on, they're they're confused for a fucking few weeks. <laughs> yeah, but you learn really quick. Uh, like all, all of you guys, awesome minds, and uh, you know, different perspective from each one of you. And I don't know. I think two episodes in, it was like, okay, that's Adam for sure, because you know, it just sounds like that's what he would be talking about, right? Yeah. I think we're I think we're we're enough different 
that once you've heard a couple episodes, you get the personalities enough that you can just go, okay, that's totally something Sal would say, or that's totally something Adam or Justin would say. Um, but yeah, no, we, so we had a fan page that's been created in the last, I don't know, Isaac created that a couple months ago and he does that. He makes sure that people know who's who. And I think he's helped out a lot of people because of that. But we've had, we had people before we were doing videos, they said they were listening to us for like months and they had us all confused. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, Oh, it's common. Just like uh, when 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 you see Sal in in person or if you look up an image, you're like, wait a sec. <laughs> Is that, are you sure that's him? Yeah. Like it, people it, get that. People get used to get, early on used to get him and I confused. And then later on, it ended up being Justin and I. So, um yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to. I think it would be cheesy if we introduced ourselves every single episode. Mm-hmm. So that's why we don't do that. But thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope I provided some insight and some knowledge that will ultimately help you expand your mind and your life. If you can do me a huge favor and subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is, I would sincerely appreciate it. It will help me grow and will help my message get out to the world. So, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I absolutely look forward to the next time I get to spend some time with you. All right, my friends, stay extraordinary. Stay extraordinary.